Thank you. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Hunter Bible Church uh, YouTube channel. My name is Dave. It's great to have you with us. A particular welcome if uh, maybe you've stumbled across us on the website or online somewhere, or maybe a friend has shared this link with you. Uh, we want to say we are so glad that you're here tonight as we tackle the big question, where is God in COVID. Now, I'm actually here with Greg, one of the pastors of HBC. Welcome, Greg. G'day. It's Good great to have you. you with us. It's great to have you with hey, us. everyone. Thanks for uh, coming in to help us think through some of the questions surrounding uh, God and coronavirus and how those two things possibly fit together. Uh, I'm excited for tonight. You excited? Yeah, I am. Although I'm, I'm missing Lego Masters for this, so <laughs> you'd, you'd better be good, Dave. Yeah, you can catch that up on uh, whatever channel it's on. You can catch that up later. Don't I think we just that. lost half the audience who went, what, Lego Masters yeah. is on? Yeah, you've destroyed us. That's so, all right. <laughs> our numbers have just plummeted. Yes, yes. If you are still watching, uh, one of the things you can actually do is interact with us tonight. So we would love you to send in any questions you might have. And the way to do that is that just to post them in the YouTube comments. Uh, alongside the video and we will try and work through as many of those as we can throughout tonight. Well, let's get into us. What a hectic last month it has been for uh, the world, not just Australia, but the whole world. Nearly 3 million confirmed cases, over 200,000 deaths. And these are not just numbers and statistics. Greg, these are, these are people. Yeah, these are lives we're talking about here. Yeah. Surely now this is evidence, conclusive evidence that God just doesn't exist. It's, it definitely feels like that, doesn't it? Mm. So um, there's this old, um, this old kind of logic puzzle that people sometimes say, if, um, if God is meant to be all-powerful and God is meant to be all-good, then suffering shouldn't exist. Because an all-powerful, all-good God, he's powerful enough to stop it, he's good enough to hate it, and so surely the fact that suffering exists means that God can't. Mm. Um, and that's kind of the, the logic puzzle that people have. But I reckon it kind of operates at a, a more personal, a gut level, mm. um, where you kind of go, God, how can you let this happen? What, mm. <laughs> what kind of God are you? Um, and I think for people who are watching tonight... Um, there are some people who, the way we're, th we're thinking about this really in, in theory, it's an idea that's interesting to wrestle with. Mm. Um, for other people, this is actually about personal experience. I remember reading a really good book that said, some people wrestle with this question from the lounge chair, kind of as a theoretical exercise. Other people wrestle with the question of suffering from the wheelchair. Mm. Um, and I think if, if this is something that you're actually personally wrestling with, the idea of suffering, um, we don't want to kind of be glib about it tonight. We're not expecting that tonight we're going to answer everyone's question and suddenly the world is going to become rosy because um, this is a really hard topic and it's personally um, gut-wrenching as well. Yes. We, we want to be respectful of that. Yeah, we, which kind of raises a good question. I mean, there's a sense in which uh, sometimes we'll talk at quite a kind of intellectual level at this rather than that really deep emotional, mm. personal level tonight. Uh, but... Here we are, two guys sitting in a room. Uh, yeah, is suffering... Have, have you been through any suffering? Like, is this something that is relatable for you or is it just all pie in the sky, yeah, thought for you? It's, it's the question you've got to ask, isn't it? The person who's never experienced it, um, what right have they got to speak on it? And I'd, I'd want to say, living in the country that we live in here in Australia and um, the part of society that we live in, I've lived a privileged life. Mm. Um, 
but there have been times of real darkness. Between 2010 and 2013, there were three years where I suffered with depression. Mm -hmm. um, and I look around and I think I've, I've lived a blessed life. Mm. Um, but I think everyone, everyone suffers, don't they? Yeah, it's, yeah, that's so true. And that's actually something that's kind of helpful as we have this whole discussion about uh, the coronavirus pandemic and the tragedy that's happened. Mm. This, is, uh, this is not just an isolated event. Suffering is all across the world. Mm. Um, and you and I were talking the other day about um, some of the other great tragedies that have happened throughout history. Yeah. Um, well, even in our lifetime, this is, uh, we probably don't think about it in these terms, but this is not the worst pandemic that we have lived through. Mm. Um, since the mid-1980s, 35 million people have died of AIDS. Um, mm. And 9 billion people, and uh, even during COVID, half as many people are dying of AIDS and AIDS-related illnesses as are dying of COVID. Yeah. It's just that we've grown so used to it. Yeah. Um, and with something like hunger and hunger-related issues, something like 9 million people die every year. Four times as many people have died during COVID of hunger and hunger-related issues than have died of COVID-19. Mm. Um, which doesn't mean that COVID-19 is irrelevant, but it actually starts to show the scope of the problem of suffering, doesn't it? That yeah. this thing that has so incredibly disrupted our life isn't even the most tragic thing going on at the moment. Mm. Um, it's just the most disruptive thing going on. But yeah. we live in a world that is just filled with suffering, yeah. with human suffering. That's that's really helpful, and and as you say, it doesn't it doesn't remove the the question for us. Actually, all we've done is just highlight that this is a massive question beyond yeah. COVID. The question of suffering and how we have a worldview that uh, compensates and includes the question of suffering is very important. Something we have to grapple with. Yeah, if Christianity doesn't have anything to say about this, then it's definitely not worth following. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Well. Hopefully we'll see tonight that it does. But before we dig into that, what, what are some of the alternatives? Like if you don't have a Christian worldview, which we'll come to, if God doesn't exist, what are some other ways you can possibly answer this question of suffering? Well, the big alternative and the, the people who normally throw that question of if God is good, if God is powerful, why does suffering exist? Um, are the people who would say there is no God, the atheists. Mm, the atheists, yeah. Um, and I... I think anytime anyone asks a question, you want to treat it with respect. Um, the difficulty with atheism, though, is it certainly doesn't have an answer to the question of suffering, and, and it definitely doesn't have an answer to the question of evil. Um, mm. So in terms of suffering, um, if there is no God, then that means the world is an accident. So the universe wasn't put here for a purpose. It got here by accident. Mm. Um, which means that things that we would call a tragedy, like COVID-19, um, that's just our interpretation of it. What it is in reality is just the next part of the accident. Mm. Um, and, you know, it could have been that COVID didn't happen and it could have been that it did. They're both accidents and neither of them are tragic or good. It just, it is what it is. Mm. Um, and I think something deep inside us just really rebels against that idea. Yeah. Like I, the thought that we can consign... 200,000 people and go, well, that's, that's just the next phase of the accident. We don't, we don't think that. Yeah. In tr I think deeply inside we're going, no, this is not how things ought to be. Mm. We do have a sense of what is good and what is bad. And, and it kind of goes beyond my preference. Whereas what atheism would say is, um, this is an accident and we don't like it, mm. but there's no meaning to it. Yeah. 
I think you, I think you see that, don't you, in the way that uh, as a society we have really rallied and uh, and want to protect life, life mm. of uh, all age, all demographic, um, doctors, nurses. There's this mm. emphasis, isn't it? That our, our actions betray our beliefs. That we want there to be something, we want there to be an, a, a good state of affairs, a right state of affairs. Mm. We, we, we love the ideal. Um, mm. I mean, where you really see atheism not working is in the question of evil. Because um, evil is one of the great sources of suffering in the world, the th evil things that people do to each other. Um, if there is no God who creates the world and says this is what right and wrong is, if there is no objective right and wrong, how do we work it out? Um, well, we could say we all get to work it out for ourselves. That's individualism. Um, I decide what's right for me, you decide what's right for you, um, which works really well until we live next door to each other hmm. and we disagree <laughs> about right and wrong. Yeah. Then we've got a problem. Um, and so what we could do then is say, well, what do most people think is right and what do most people think is wrong, except that I think we've seen, even in Australian history, how wrong the populace can be. Hmm. Because... For a lot of Australia's history, for most of Australia's history, most people have actually thought that our Indigenous people were not equal to, to Europeans. Mm. And so it's entirely possible for the majority to be wrong. Uh, and so then you go, well, maybe we should just take a cue from nature and go Darwinian, survival of the fittest, the person who decides the way things should be is the strongest. Um, but that's how you just end up with tyranny. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, the, the classic uh, person who argued for this, Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, philosopher, who actually was very much against the notion of pity. Uh, he saw pity as being a weak thing, and he said, what is good is what increases my power. Mm. Um, and what increases my power is the thing that actually brings me happiness. And he had this concept of the ubermensch, the, the superman, the superperson, and they were the ones who were born to rule. Mm. Um, and of course, what you end up with then is... Um, with tyranny, with oppression, um, because at that point, the person deciding right and wrong is not an objective God, mm. but the strongest human being. Yes. But without a God, who am I to say that that strong person is wrong? Without a God, who am I to say the populace is wrong? Who am yeah. I to say the individual is wrong? Because everyone is just deciding for themselves. Yeah. And that's where atheism wants to kind of create this sense of there being a right and wrong because we have it in, in, intrinsically inside us, intuitively we know, mm. but it doesn't have a reason for mm. it. Yeah, it's just what works. Yeah, that's really that's really helpful. Just thinking through how if we take God out of the picture, then how do we establish any value or worth in life? How mm. do we think see suffering as a good or bad thing? It is just the way it is. Um, there is no good or evil. There's no way things were meant to be. Yeah, and it, it kind of comes crumbling down and to live like that is actually to live that kind of belief out I think it's actually quite becomes quite dark um, yeah. or, or I think the other option is you just live a little bit deluded you know and go well I've got to live for something I've got to make some sort of morality so yeah. that's what I'm going to do well you just described nihilism and existentialism nihilism is there is no point there is no purpose so embrace it yeah. existentialism is there is no point there is no purpose but maybe I can create one mm. and entertain myself along the way but both of them start there is no point there is no purpose yeah. and yet I think intrinsically 
we really believe, intuitively we really believe there is a point and a purpose and times like this is when it kind of brings it to the surface. Yeah. I, I don't want to consign 200,000 people or 35 million AIDS victims to the accident bin of history. Mm. I just think that's abhorrent. Yes, especially when they're not just numbers, they're, they're, people. they're people. And they're families. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, probably not so much a, a religious view, but a, a, a world view. Um, the idea of karma mm. is often you know, something that uh, even a lot of Australians really hold to, the idea that if you do good, good will happen to you. If you do bad, bad will happen to you. I was wrestling the other day with, with how, if you have a, a world view um, where karma is at play, how do you account for this kind of situation? And it really is that when you boil it down, it's as crude and, and as rough as if you are suffering, it's because you have done something bad. If you are yeah. suffering, you're reaping the results of maybe a past life, past evil act that you've done. And so karma really says in the midst of suffering, this is what you deserve. This is, yeah. Which is a horrible thought, isn't it? Because if I don't know what I did, <laughs> if it was in a past life, yeah. then I'm condemned for a crime that I may or may not have committed, but I don't have any, I can't, I can't fix it. Mm. I can't go back and put it right. Um, and, and there's no mercy. Mm. Um, the idea of mercy and forgiveness, it, it is such a beautiful concept yeah. to be able to say to someone, I forgive you, I'm not going to hold you responsible. Uh, remember... Uh, late last year, there was that horrible accident where four children from the one family were run over mm. by a man who'd been driving drunk. And everyone was amazed and outraged when the mom and dad got on TV and they said, we forgive you. And it was, it was outrageous mm. to be able to do that. But everyone was like, that is superhuman. That is, that's extraordinary. Mm. And it was so beautiful. There's no forgiveness in karma. Yeah. Yeah. And, and. Yeah, and there's no reason to help someone in that instance, is there? Because they're suffering for something they've deserved. Yeah. And I kind of have to let that play out. This is just uh, in their eyes. That's so true, isn't it? Yeah, what do I do with third world suffering? Well, clearly they deserve it. Mm. And the best thing I should do is let fate get on with its business. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, so atheism, uh, karma, as we look at other worldviews uh, and how they deal with the question of suffering, it's worth us acknowledging from the start that... Um, the other worldviews don't have a lot of answers. In fact, they create a lot of problems mm. um, as well. Yeah. Uh, so um, if you have questions about that, please do text them in. We do want to take any questions you might have throughout tonight. But let's turn a little bit now to Christianity's view of mm. suffering and what answers the Bible has for it. What does the Bible say about suffering, why it exists? Well, yeah, right from the beginning, I think what you see in the Bible is a God um, who is relational, so that's straight away there's a difference to karma there, um, who's relational, who loves and who creates a good world. And the very first thing God does is bless. Hmm. So he blesses the animals, he blesses humanity and he gives the world to humans and it's a world without suffering and without death. What I think that tallies right with what we really believe about life that it's not that suffering is against my preference. It's not just that I don't like it, it's that's wrong. Mm. Um, it's that thing when, when someone dies, whether they die at one or at 90, it's a tragedy. Mm. It's always a tragedy. Mm. Um, and the Bible starts with this lovely picture of a good God creating a world without suffering for people. Um, 
and then you move to uh, that's the Garden of Eden, and then you move out of the Garden of Eden, and you actually see suffering increasing exponentially, almost like the COVID-19 graph, you know. You see suffering beginning to increase. And it's funny, the Bible doesn't just present one particular reason. It actually gives a bunch of reasons why we suffer. Um, and, I mean, some of them, one of them is as simple as we suffer because of human foolishness. Um, there's, there's a guy in the New Testament, Eutychus, uh, who is listening to a sermon and uh, he's dumb enough to fall asleep in a window. So he's sitting on a window ledge, he's listening to the sermon, he falls asleep, can't really blame him, but he falls down and he dies. Um, and it's a tragedy because he's as real as anyone else. Um, and thankfully, Paul goes down and raises him from the dead, which is this amazing, fantastic story. But at that point, it's hard to look for a deeper meaning to that, <laughs> to that tragedy. Um, a lot of our suffering in life is because of the, the foolish decisions we make. Uh, a friend of mine in, on Facebook recently has been putting um, the, these memes, series of memes, why women live longer than men. And it's just po- photos of men doing really, really dumb stuff. Yeah. You know, like step ladders on top of roofs as they're pruning trees, you know, with power lines in the background. Yeah, and you yeah. go, this can only end badly. Yeah. Um, and so one of the reasons that we suffer is that we make decisions that lead to our own suffering. Yeah. Um, and some of those are really tragic, uh, and some of them are just really dumb. Yeah. Another reason that the Bible gives for human suffering uh, is that humans um, humans do evil things to other humans. And this is one of those things where we tend to point the finger at God and say, God, why haven't you stopped this? But I think it's more realistic to point a finger at us and say, why did we do that? Mm. So human uh, starvation... It is within our means Mm. to end human starvation. It has been within our means for decades. Um, The fact that 9 million people still die annually from it, from an entirely preventable suffering, Mm. is because of our greed. Um, There is suffering on an untold scale um, that we have done. And to point the finger at God Mm. is actually a little bit rich, isn't it? I'm part of the system. Uh, that created third world debt and suffering. There's a wonderful story, a man named G.K. Chesterton, who was an author and uh, and a Christian. And um, one of the newspapers put out a, a sent a series of um, uh, of surveys to famous people across England, saying what is wrong with the world. And he sent back an answer of one word, and he said, "Me." <laughs> You're sincerely G.K. Chesterton, and I think that summarises it perfectly, doesn't mm. it? What the evil that causes suffering comes as much from my heart as anyone else's yeah so foolishness uh human evil um what what else does the bible say about why suffering exists sometimes you see it as a direct result of the judgment of god um so the bible talks about the flood uh which was human suffering as punishment for evil Um, Sometimes it's even because of a particular act. There's a king in the Old Testament, King Saul, uh, who's sent to kill the Amalekites to to defeat them as a nation, and he doesn't do it. Um, And God takes the kingdom away from him. Uh, And so sometimes human pain is caused as a direct result of God's punishment. Mm. Sometimes, though, there there doesn't seem to be any rationale for it at all. Mm. Um, There's a a short but really helpful uh, passage um, in, uh, in Luke Uh, chapter 16 um, where Jesus is uh, talking to some people 
Um, actually, is it Luke 16? I think it's Luke 13. Luke maybe? 13. I was going to say, if somehow my Bible has jumped from... I had it even set up. Um, there we go. Luke 13. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So they... They, they tell Jesus about this local tragedy, some people who were killed by Pontius Pilate, who we meet later on. Mm. And Jesus answered, do you think these Galileans are worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. So there's another local tragedy, Tower falls on people and they die. Um, he says, uh, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So Jesus really goes against that idea of karma there, doesn't he? Hmm, he does, yeah. Um, here are some people who died, uh, and Jesus says, were they worse than anyone else around them? No. Um, and it's funny, this is an experience that I had. Um, I worked as a pushbike courier in the centre of Sydney in 1990, my first year after high school, and I walked out of a building on, um, on Hunter Street and walked up the street, and I was about 20 metres away when, and I just walked past a building site, when the facade of a building collapsed and killed, I think it was maybe three or four people. Oh, wow. And they were standing where I had walked less than 10 seconds before it. Hmm. And I, I, I kind of, I didn't see the building fall, obviously I heard it. Was I any better than any of those people? No, I think you could probably say I was worse than most of them. Hmm. Um, and Jesus, what Jesus says there is, no, that there isn't a karmic link between sin and suffering. Mm. Um, but notice the thing that Jesus does say there is he, he actually challenges people about their own individual evil. Mm. So in verse 3, he says, were they worse? No, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Mm. And verse 5, I tell you no, but unless you repent you too will all perish. And what Jesus is doing there is saying, it's not that those people were worse, but we are all guilty before God. Hmm. Um, guilty guilty of, of what? what? Yeah. yeah, well, that's where Jesus is tapping into the great big story of the Bible. The big story of the Bible starts with God creating a good world. And the next thing that happens is we rebel against that God. And it wasn't, it's not just a fairy story. Um, we have followed in Adam and Eve's footsteps, every single one of us, with our own quiet rebellion, where we just say, God, I'm not interested in you telling me what to do. Um, it's it's the, the innate human thing. God, I do not want you to be bossing me around. Yeah, that's, that's me. Yeah. That's how I... Yeah. yeah, yeah. We enshrine it as individualism, rugged individualism, you know. Um, I get to rule my life. The problem is... Um, God is the right ruler of my life. He's the one who knows best and he's actually my creator and so he owns me. Mm. Um, what God did then was to say, okay, if you do not want me as my ruler, I'm going to take away a lot of the good aspects of my rule. Yeah. And so he expels Adam and Eve from the garden into a world where he says to them, there's going to be pain in childbirth and the land is going to produce thorns and thistles. Life is going to be hard. And he says, eventually you are going to die. Um, we move from a world without suffering and into a world of suffering. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that we, the, the big thing that the Bible says about suffering that really kind of puts it all in the place, the, the kind of cornerstone of what suffering is, is it is a symptom of something else. It's a symptom of a broken relationship with a good God. Yeah. Um, 
We don't suffer because the world is meaningless. We suffer because there is meaning and God is the meaning and we've turned our back on him and God said, okay, I will take away yeah. the goodness. And yeah. so we live in a world where a building falls and, and some people die yeah. and the person who's probably worse than them lives. Yeah. Um, so we live in that world of, of, of suffering and it sounds like you're saying, one of the elements you're saying there is it's, there's not even necessarily rhyme or reason to the suffering. Yeah. Uh, it's chaotic and this is, this is uh, if you like, a symptom of the fact that there's a really great problem yeah. that humanity have turned their back on God. And, yeah. yeah. And in the mercy of God, we still live in a world that is fairly predictable, mm. you know, that is still lovely yeah. and it's fantastic. Yeah. But um, it's a world that, in, in Romans 8, it, it talks about the world groaning. Yeah. Yeah, we it's, had a question come in about that. Is this yeah. the Romans 8 style groaning? Yeah. That we live in. yeah, there's a twist in it. It's broken. In Ecclesiastes, it talks about this meaninglessness to it. Mm. Um, that's for a lot of life, there is cause and effect, mm. just not morally. You yeah. know, good things happen to bad things happen to good people, and yeah. good things happen to bad people. Yeah. Um, and it's and we intrinsically, we in, sorry, we intuitively know that it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. Um, I think that makes so much sense of. of the, the Christian worldview makes so much sense of life, doesn't it? it? There's still a goodness to life because God made it and he's, he's still present. And yet there's this tragicness to life. There's this suffering, there's this decay and death because uh, we've rebelled against God. We've, we've pushed him away, if you like. And, and that makes sense of what we're living in now. There's been so much great goodness happen in the midst of COVID mm. and yet this, this horrific event and that's true of all of life isn't it? Yeah, yeah you see human beings being capable of so much good because that's what the Bible doesn't say human beings are only evil. Mm. Um, we're capable of the most amazing good mm. but we have this fracture in our character. The, yeah. There's a, a deep flaw within us that rebels against God and that is fundamentally self-centered and we're capable of rising above that in in a lot of life but you actually see it and you kind of see it why was it that we were so great at looking after each other in the fires and then we all went to the shops and hoarded toilet paper mm. um, you saw the very best of humanity at one level and then people fighting over loo paper for crying out loud why do we do that well it's because the fires were out there the disease was in here and it really threatened us personally mm. and so we had people fighting over things in supermarkets um, I'm capable of enormous generosity when I'm not under threat. Mm. Um, and so how much more suffering has there been in COVID mm. because of human selfishness? Yeah. Um, I mean, some of the ridiculous things like people hoarding asthma puffers so that people who have asthma can't, mm. can't use it. That's just the, the degree to which we are capable of selfishness. The Bible explains all of that, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, that talks about the world that we live in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny how a little bit of pressure on us can actually bring out that kind of really dark side to us, and that's definitely true of me. Mm. A little bit of pressure brings out this this dark side of me to protect me and my own, rather than um, live the way that God calls us to live with that sacrificial and selfless love. And mm. um, a question kind of coming around in this, which you, you've been wrestling with, is that. Uh, often the Bible talks about this idea of the end times, mm. um, that uh, there will be yeah, um, uh, pandemics, if you like, suffering, uh, the brokenness of the world will be on display mm. and that that's meant to warn us 
of something greater coming. Is that what you were talking about here with the... Um, that's my iPad going on. Yeah, that's going to say, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Sort of, but when you think about it, there have been pandemics. Um, from the moment we left the garden, there, has been, there have been pandemics, and of course the greatest pandemic itself is death. Mm. Um, there is a disease that everyone dies of. Um, from what we can tell, the worst pandemic in history was um, the bubonic plague, the Black Death, uh, in the, what was it, the 1300s? Uh, up to 200 million people dying. Um, compared to that, we, we're less than a thousandth. Um, <laughs> or actually, we're, we're at about a thousandth of that, aren't we? Mm. 200,000. Um, and so, yes, the Bible does talk about the end times, um, but disease, sickness, death uh, began at the point where we first rebelled against God um, and will continue right up until that point. What the Bible does talk about with the end times, though, is the great answer to death, mm. um, and that's Jesus. Mm. So, Jesus, he actually came into a world of death. First century was a really horrible place to live. You know, there, there is no um, public health care. There is, there is no such thing as modern medicine. People were dying left, right and centre. And, and in comes Jesus and he heals sickness. Boom, you're well. Heals leprosy. Boom, you're well. Raises people from the dead. And you look at Jesus and you think, here is a guy who actually has the capacity to end suffering. And he actually ends the suffering of some people whose lives were miserable. Mm. You know, a woman who'd been bleeding from her womb, her womb for, what was it, 12, 14 years, 13, 14 years, whose life would have been miserable. And he actually ends her suffering. And so Jesus is this shining light in his life. And one of the questions you've got to ask about Jesus is, if he could end suffering so easily, why did he die? Um, there's even a point in, in the, one of the Gospels in Mark where um, Jesus goes off and his disciples say, oh, come back, come back, there's all this healing to be done. Everyone's looking for you. And he says, let's go somewhere else. Hmm. Um, because Jesus came to do something bigger than fix the symptom. He came to fix the cure, to fix the, the disease itself, which is our rebellion against God. And when he died on the cross, he died to pay for that rebellion. Hmm. And all of the healings were a, a kind of a, a, little, a little foretaste of what he would do when he died on the cross, when he paid for our rebellion against God yeah. and earned for us an eternity without suffering. Mm. That's what heaven is. Heaven is that return to an existence, a life where we don't just suffer, but we actually live with God's love. Mm. And it's just the picture of heaven is amazing. God, Jesus came to do more than just limit or end suffering here. He came and he dealt with the ultimate problem mm. of why we suffer in the first place. Yeah, which kind of brings us really nicely to this, uh, another question around this topic, which is if God is so good, if he is, does actually care and he is powerful enough to, to heal and to stop suffering, then why doesn't God just put an end to mm. the COVID problem? Why yeah. doesn't he step in, intervene and act? Yeah, and he will at some point. So one of the ways that God usually works in our world is through human agency. And so... Um, my grandfather, uh, my maternal grandfather, uh, suffered from polio uh, through for the entirety of his life. He was a cripple. Mm. Um, and uh, one of the great kindnesses of God was, uh, was it like 1952 or something? Um, the cure for polio was found. There will be ultimately a cure and a defeat for COVID. Um, 
why doesn't God step in and end all suffering? Um, well, at one level, you could say he has. He sent Jesus to die to pay for our sins. Mm. And you can also say he will. When Jesus comes back, all suffering will be ended. And in fact, so will all evil. The problem with that is I'm part of the problem of evil. And if I say, God, why won't you fix, when, when are you going to fix this problem of evil and suffering? Mm. It's perfectly right for God to say, so are you asking me then to deal with you, Greg? Because you've got your own measure of guilt in this. Um, and the, what the Bible says, the reason God hasn't yet returned and ended the evil and ended the suffering is to give us time to turn back to Jesus, mm. to give us that moment where Jesus pays for our sins and we're forgiven. Mm. Um, which is why Christians are so keen to tell everyone about Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah, because he is the great evidence, if you like, that God does care and that God will do something about it, has done and will do something yeah. about the suffering in the world. Um, yeah. I don't want people I love to be on the wrong side of God's solution. Mm. When God ends the problem of evil and suffering, I don't want them to be the people who are, are punished by God for their evil and suffering. I want them to be forgiven because of Jesus' death. Yeah. Um, but we do want to keep saying to people, Jesus has come and fixed evil and suffering, and he will. Yeah. And it's, 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 I think there's a sense in which it, that doesn't necessarily fix our pain or what we're going through. That's still real. Mm. Um, and yet there is in Christianity a hope and a sure and certain hope because of Jesus, isn't there? That... Mm. Uh, atheism doesn't offer, the karma doesn't offer, that no other worldview really offers except Christianity at this point. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think in terms of three ways I think maybe Christianity really helps in the face of suffering. One, mm. it helps to explain the cause of it, which is what we were talking about earlier. Mm. Two, it gives me a, a hope beyond it. I know that the world uh, is not going to stay this mess. Jesus has come and died to pay for the cause of suffering. Three, and maybe a little bit controversially, um, there is a reason that Christians throughout history have been at the forefront of compassion. So um, there's a reason for things like the Red Cross. There's a reason for things like Anglicare. And there's a reason for things like St. Vincent de Paul. Mm. Um, and that is because when you see God's desire to end suffering by sending his son, um, when you see God's love for people, what the Bible says is that, that, that should well up in love for you. And so Christians here on earth are people who do want to end suffering in any way that we can. The great tragedy is so many people who have called themselves Christians and in the name of Christians have increased suffering. Mm. And there's no warrant in the Bible for it. There's no justification. When Christians have um, waged war unjustly, when Christians have been pedophiles, there's no justification in the Bible. And I think God, our anger about that is nothing compared to God's. Mm. People who in God's name have done incredibly unloving things. Mm. But when you see Christians saying, because God loved us, we want to end suffering. Organisations like Compassion, which does such a brilliant job of child sponsorship. Um, when you see people who, because they love Jesus and Jesus loved the world, they do their best to alleviate suffering. I think you're seeing a lot of Christianity really at work. Mm. the best of it yeah. yeah yeah that's helpful one of the questions that's uh come in greg 
is uh, kind of related to the question of suffering, but, but more around, uh, I guess, the emotional experience of, of disappointment, mm. um, which uh, the COVID has made people suffer, but it's also just made upended, I guess, a lot of good things. Um, yeah, what, how does Christianity, how do we handle disappointment uh, with a Christian worldview? Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's allied suffering, isn't it? On the one hand, we can say um, this is really disappointing. Um, to, we, we felt it on Saturday, didn't we? To not be able to celebrate Anzac Day, which is a really important holiday mm. to us. It's a really important day of, of um, remembrance. That's really disappointing. Yeah. Um, and so Christianity helps us by saying it's not an accident. It really is disappointing. Um, Another way that it helps us, though, is to say there is a good and sovereign, uh, a good God in control of these things um, who actually has his purposes for them. And so one of the things about Christianity is um, it teaches us to be patient in suffering mm. because we believe in a good God. Yeah. Um, it's funny, other religions, Stoicism talked about patience because there really is no meaning. <laughs> So you just stoically, that's where we get the idea of stoicism, you, you just kind of stoically put up with it. Yeah. Um, Christian, Christianity talks about patience, not because there's no meaning, but because there's a God mm. and we know that he's in control. And so I think that helps us to put up with disappointment. We go, well, what is God teaching me in this? Uh, so I think I've learned heaps about myself and about God during COVID. Mm. That's helpful. One of, the, um, one of the questions that has come through uh, from Beck is actually just related to that idea of the, the Christian hope and uh, you spoke about a world where there will be no more suffering. Mm. Um, one of the questions is, will we remember our earthly suffering when we are in heaven? Uh, will we remember anything from our earthly lives? What kind of connection mm. is there between this life and that hope that Jesus offers? Yeah. Um, I think in terms of, as we think about heaven, one of the difficulties is the Bible says a lot about it, but it doesn't say everything. Mm. Um, and so in answering some questions, what we end up doing is saying, well, this feels, here's an answer that's consistent with what we do know. Um, so I don't think the Bible necessarily addresses how much will I remember of my earthly life. Um, but it does say that I will be me. I will have a physical body. And it does say Jesus is honoured there because of his death for me. Um, and so I do think that I will remember what life was like here because I'm going to be remembering Jesus' death for me. I'm going to be remembering Jesus as the lamb. Mm. Will I remember with a deep sense of regret? No, I think at that moment the joy of forgiveness will overcome that and so mm. i think there'll be a, for, a forgetfulness at the level of forgetting the grief and the guilt but jesus is honored in heaven as the sacrifice for sin so i do think we'll remember that those things were there yeah okay yeah all right it's uh, about time that we call this but just one last question before we wrap it up greg um how does the christian faith how do you think it practically helps us to live our lives here and now in the midst of covid I think it means we long for heaven. Um, we love other people because our God loved other people enough to end suffering, mm. but we don't get down about this because we have a life to come, mm. which means that we're filled with joy. Mm. 
Yeah, filled with. That's that's the amazing thing about Christianity, isn't it? That you can have joy in spite of your circumstances. Uh, it doesn't mean that pain and that hardship goes away, but there's a joy there that comes from knowing God and having the sure and steadfast promise yeah. of life with Him in eternity. Yeah, yeah it's immovable. Um, well, thank you so much, Greg. And there's been a whole bunch of other questions roll in, so maybe we'll have to do a 2.0 or something of this at some point. Uh, and thank you for asking your questions and having them come through as well. It's been really great for us to grapple with these. One of the things I just wanted to flag quickly before we wrap up is if you are here and you're checking out Jesus and you do have a whole bunch of questions about him that you'd love to get answered. We run this fantastic thing called the Life Series. It's uh, all online. Uh, thanks to COVID, it's all online. So you can join us from the company. Or you ask any questions you want or just sit back and take it in so that you can get the information uh, you need to make a decision about him. The other thing I want to invite you to do if you're watching is subscribe to the Hunter Bible Church channel. Uh, we have a whole bunch of great stuff which comes up uh, every couple of days and we'd love you to be there uh, and have access to that. If you subscribe to that, you'll get notifications and you can yeah, keep tuning in with us. Uh, so again, thanks for coming and we hope this has been helpful for you and we will see you next time.